Hey guys, how you doing? Yeah, doing good today? All right. Um, it is so good to be gathered around God's word and the worship of our risen Savior. If you could do something for me, if you have your Bibles, get them out, start turning to Nehemiah. We're going to be camping out in the fourth and sixth chapter today for our message. Uh, before I do that, though, I want to take a moment to encourage you guys as a church. In the past uh, three weeks in Grace Kids, we've been learning a series called Blast Off. And we've been learning the spiritual habits that we can do to grow our faith in God. And the first week was the spiritual habit of spending time with God. Whether it's in the Bible, whether it's through prayer, worship, just meditating on him, thinking about his goodness, that was the first spiritual habit we listened to and we talked about. And as I was teaching the kids, I said, you know what, kids, this isn't just a message for you guys. This is a message for your parents and the adults of this church. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to get my rubber chicken out again. I'm, I'm not going to put on my white wig that I use in Roots. And I'm not going to make you guys get out of your seats, sit on the ground, and open your Bibles. That's what we do in the Roots room. And, you know, those kids, they get right down on the floor and they sit just fine. But then as adults, you sit there and you, you get up and you're like, wow, that was uncomfortable. <laughs> I guess it's the same thing as, you know, you watch kids roll down a big grass hill. We've all probably done that as adults. Have you tried that as an adult? It doesn't, it doesn't feel good. But I'm going to keep you guys in your seats. But what am I, I am going to do today is I want to encourage you. And actually further than that, I want to challenge you before we start our message this morning. If you're sitting in here and you've been waiting in the wings to open your Bibles daily, I want to push you into that. When I was a newly saved Christian in my late 20s, I listened to the encouragement to daily open my Bible and read his word and pray on it, meditate on it, and journal on it. So I want you guys to be encouraged and challenged today. If you haven't done it, open your Bibles. And we're in week 28 now, finishing up week 28 of the year of the Bible. And that can be a good chunk of reading, as we are as a church reading through the entire Bible to see the whole meta narrative of Scripture. But I want you guys, if that's too much, just start little by little and daily spending time with the Lord. It changed me, and I can promise you it'll change you as well. Now, as we move into closeness with God through daily reading and seeking him, we're going to face opposition. And we're showing that in Scripture. We'll check out 1 Peter 4.12. It's not on the board, but I'll read it to you. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, we first need to be aware as Christians that God, he doesn't have evil about him, but it is permitted in our lives to grow us, to strengthen us, and when we give way to sin, evil can come into our lives. We have to be aware of this evil and the schemes of the enemy so that we can work to stand against it because the fact is, if the closer we draw to God, the more the enemy is going to work against us. And I'm sure those of you who have had moments and seasons where you draw into God, you feel that opposition from the enemy. So our text today is going to show us how the enemy works against us. Now, this is not an all-inclusive list, 
but this is what we can glean out of the text today in Nehemiah. And we're going to see how the enemy works against us by dividing us, by lying to us, and distracting us. And that's my outline today. And if you're taking notes, uh, the title of my sermon today is Enduring the Schemes. In no way, shape, or form is it my objective today to give publicity to Satan and his schemes, but I want to encourage you and make you aware of the schemes that he uses. And lastly, I want you guys to have practical biblical wisdom so that we can resist it. Now, before we get into Nehemiah, we also over the past week read the book of Esther. And I I don't want to just completely forget about that book because there's a lot of good stuff in there. The first thing we see in Esther is that we see the importance and the power of corporate prayer and faithfulness to God. We also see how God uses us in the seasons that we're in to live out his purpose and his plan. We might be in seasons that we don't know why we're in them. We don't know why we're struggling or why we're in this this season of, though we should have discontentment, I think we've all felt discontentment from time to time. And Esther gives us encouragement that when we are in seasons, situations of new jobs, new neighbors, schools, groups of friends, we need to be asking ourselves, just as we see in the book of Esther, did God place me here for just a time as this? And the answer is yes. He puts you right where you are now to make an impact for him and his kingdom and the gospel where you're at. As we press in to this truth, though, we are going to face adversity from the enemy. As we move into affecting God's work and plan for our lives, we're going to face opposition. And sometimes the opposition can be quite harsh. Before we look at why we're opposed in the book of Nehemiah, if you haven't read Nehemiah, and I just get into our text starting in Nehemiah 4, you're going to be a bit lost. I want to give you the grand scope of this book before we dive in real tight because there's 13 chapters in Nehemiah. We're looking at three verses in, in verse, uh, chapter 4, and we're looking at 16 verses in chapter 6. My heart was for a message that is very pointed on very specific scripture in Nehemiah. But I want you to see through this little recap that Nehemiah, like Esther, trusted the Lord. And we also see God's continued heart for restoration and healing, which is the same promise you have today as well. So we continue to see this narrative through scripture, through all the way through the book of Nehemiah, that God heals and restores. Israelites are in exile. They're starting to come out now, and they're living in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is still somewhat destroyed from the previous events, and their walls are knocked down, and they're vulnerable, and Nehemiah has it on his heart to go back there and rebuild the wall. And he builds the wall with God's help, but as he's building the wall, he faces opposition from the enemy. And that's where we're hanging out today. We're diving into that. But through God's help, he pushes through, the wall gets built. We see the people renew their covenant with God. And then at the end, in chapter 13, we see some pretty strong reproof from Nehemiah to the people. And if you read, you know what I'm talking about. 
These people were intermarrying, and it's not about race. It was about the fact that they were intermarrying and were likely to learn their ways, which were ways apart from our God. So he has some pretty harsh rebuke. He beats them and pulls their hair, and we should be thankful. We're not an Old Testament church today, and I can assure you that I'm not going to come down there and uh, unleash the fury that Nehemiah had. But what we do see is that he did not want them to fall into the same traps. And we can learn that wisdom as well. The repeated things that we do that take us away from the Lord. And Nehemiah wasn't having any of it. And he squashed it quickly and sternly. So why are we opposed? Let's check out Nehemiah 4, 1 through 3. We'll read on. Now, when Sambalot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes. What they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. In verse 1, Sambalot, he's afraid that the wall is going to get built because it would mean a restored Jerusalem. And if Jerusalem was restored, it would diminish Samaria's impact and influence on the region. Now, Sambalot was said to be governor of Samaria, and he had a lot to lose from this happening. So what's the big deal about a wall anyways? Because us in the Western culture, we don't need a wall to feel secure. We don't have a wall outside the city of Sheboygan Falls this morning protecting us. But for them, because of the way the world was at that time, their vulnerability, individual cities needed walls. It gave them strength and unity, and it secured their safety. As Christians, today, we see opposition in our lives because our views oppose the worldview. Just like Nehemiah's idea opposed the views of others in his region, we too face opposition for what we believe in. Now, this opposition can come in many forms, just like it did Nehemiah. Now, the first kind of opposition, we feel it, it's direct. It's a direct opposition, personal opposition to us. And this can be you're at your place of employment and you're telling someone about Jesus, someone gets offended, and they come to you and they attack you, slander you, gossip you, they try to take you down because you're offending them, they don't like that you're telling others about Jesus in this workplace. What about the family that is walking faithfully in the Lord and therefore they're going to look different in their life? And the way they act, and people don't like that, they're going to get those weird Christians, right? And that's direct opposition. But we also see a more sinister opposition in our lives. It's quieter. It's less direct. What about the TV programs that us as adults certainly are exposed to, but our children, and now we have to be careful on, on what's put in programming that should be safe for kids. 
social media, the posts that we see and, 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 and people posting from the safety behind their screen with no filter, and then the people around us, the way they talk, the attitudes, their worldviews. And if you're in here this morning, and you're going to take me up on my challenge to read the Bible daily, seek him, praise God for that, but do not be surprised what happens. Let's say you choose a morning routine, and you're going to wake up in the morning. Don't be surprised. You're going to wake up tired. You're going to wake up disinterested, interested in maybe something worldly, wanting to check out the news, your Facebook instead. Things happen in our lives when we get in these seasons of seeking the Lord that even make us wonder if God even sees us. The enemy does not want you reading your Bible. You're dangerous to him if you're reading God's word daily. We can expect opposition from the enemy when we are obedient to God. We can expect opposition from the enemy when we are obedient to God. Let's dive in to the three ways the enemy schemes against us. We'll work through Nehemiah 6, 1 through 16. That's where we're going to be hanging out with some other reference Bible verses. And we're going to see the three tactics that are used by the enemy to get us off track. And the first one we're looking at is a scheme of division. Nehemiah 6, 1 through 4. And we'll read. Now, when Sambalot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sambalot and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together at Hecafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem attempted to lure Nehemiah away, and the plan was to disrupt the project, ultimately getting Nehemiah in a vulnerable position to do him harm. By dividing the group, they would have been successful in stopping the work, because Nehemiah was setting the vision, making the plans for the project. He was the leader, and they depended on him. And the text affirms this in verse 1. So we can see that, that I built the wall. I had built the wall, and that there was no breach left in it. Now, Nehemiah isn't boasting in his own abilities. He's not saying that he built it by himself. But what it is showing us is that he was definitely the, des the designated leader of this project. And this text could, should clearly point out that the ones who advocate for God are ambitious for his work and lead in his work are especially vulnerable. And this doesn't mean just pastors. Church leaders, group leaders, leaders of small discipleship groups, you know, the one you have in the morning, people in the church, people with roles caring for others, which is essentially every single Christian on this planet. But most importantly, the leaders of our homes. Parents, husbands, wives, 
grandparents. At the top of Satan's hit list is the home with a wide array of clever schemes to destroy you and your family. Look at them here. Pornography, fatherless homes, divorce, marital strife, absent parents, substance abuse. What about society constantly minimizing the importance of the family? Pop culture's images of the family, fathers. So how do we fight back? That is the question. And we can look at scripture. We can look right in to verse 2 and 3 of chapter 6 for biblical truth. Sambalot and Geshub sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at Hecaphirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? So Nehemiah answers with purpose, focus on God's will and his work. And he answers also by looking practically at what would happen if he let go of his task. And it's important to see this and live by this next thing that we see, is that Nehemiah didn't meet the enemy halfway. He didn't meet Offer to meet him at the wall. He didn't say, hey, come to me and, and, and we'll talk about this. No. He says no. And then we see the enemy come back with persistence time and time again. Four times. But Nehemiah doesn't waver and he doesn't entertain the idea. He keeps his distance. The things we see in our lives Pornography, we tell ourselves, just look at the picture. It's just a picture. What can hurt? We answer no. And we look to biblical wisdom. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Divorce. We tell ourselves, if I just leave him or her, my life would be so much easier. In fact, I remember reading one time that every 13 seconds, a divorce happens in America, so I'm not alone. Why not? We answer no. Biblical truth, Ephesians 5, 31 through 33. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However... Let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. What about our lack of priority? Priority for our families, our church, things that matter. We get caught up in hobbies. We get caught up in work, scrolling our phones, sports on TV. Things direct us from what really matters as parents. Biblical truth, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Now I put the first couple verses in for you kids this morning. If you're in here, I didn't want to leave you out. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Now verse 4, parents, 
Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What about alcohol or substance abuse? There was a time in my life when every time I got home from work, the first thing I did was reach for a drink. And I wanted that buzz, and it turned into intoxication, turned into a need, and before you know it, evenings I'm left with not caring about being a father, and certainly my priorities are messed up. And it gets to the point where, for me, every single family outing or event that we go to is an opportunity to indulge. And, and we see this, sadly, in our Wisconsin culture. It's the norm. It's the norm of our culture. Why is this a bad thing? Well, it sets a bad example for our children, first off. And secondly, it takes us out of the game of parenting and being there for our families. And it certainly directs our mind into a state of not being self-aware and having altered perspectives and priority lists. Biblical truth in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This text exhorts us to be self-aware, self-controlled, because the enemy isn't just trying to get you off track. The enemy is trying to destroy you. We need to maintain a sober mind, a self-controlled mind, a mind that's not altered. And guys, I'm in no way, shape, or form this morning condemning the consumption of alcohol. But what I am doing this morning is I'm asking you as Christians to see the line that needs to be drawn in the sand through the lens of Christ. Now, me personally, my line is zero. I'm not asking you to do that, but maybe some of you should be asking yourselves that question this morning. But if we do partake, we need to understand what that line is. At what point have I crossed over and I'm no longer sober-minded, self-controlled, my judgment clouded, my priorities for my family and God altered? We must maintain knowledge of all that's working against us in this world and our families. And Satan wants nothing more than to destroy us. Not only us, but our families to the core. And what did you guys think? Satan's just going to go, you know, I didn't get that family. Shucks, I'm just going to leave them alone. I'm going to go to a new family. They got lucky. I didn't get them. No. He's going to chase after you like a heat-seeking missile to destroy you unless your defenses are up. We overcome the enemy's plans to divide and conquer by keeping our focus on God's call for our lives. We must be intentional about living God's plan and work for us as parents spouses, grandparents, children, employees, entrepreneurs, and as a church family. And if you're paying attention this morning, that list includes everybody in the room. 
We have to put the word of God in our hearts. We have to study it. We have to meditate on it. Because God designed our families to be a reflection of Christ's love for the church. So if we don't have a proper view of that, if we don't have a proper view of family, we're going to have an inadequate view of the gospel. As families in this world divide, we follow suit and are divide with Christ. And always, always remember, the word of God is not a suggestion. The things in the Bible that we don't like doesn't matter. We follow them anyways. It's not a suggestion. It is a command. And the command is that we look to biblical wisdom and that we are devoted, true followers of Jesus. And the great news is, guys, he empowers us through his Holy Spirit to say no to what divides us in our families. Now, this group that was working against Nehemiah was not done, and they have another tactic, and so does the enemy against you. Let's check out Nehemiah 6, 5 through 9. In the same way, Sambalot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, No such things as you have as you say, have been done? For you're inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work, and it will not be done, but, oh God, strengthen my hands. So the enemy was not going away empty-handed. And now a fifth time, they're coming back to Nehemiah to try to take him out. And This time, it's the scheme of lies, our second scheme we're looking at this morning. And the trouble with this lie is it was plausible because now Jerusalem is in a better position than ever to revolt, and Jerusalem has had a history of revolting in the past. So this is a believable lie. Now, it's easy to see uh, slander and gossip in our lives, but there are lies in our lives that don't come from an audible voice. The enemy is constantly working lies in our minds to defeat our confidence in ourselves and our confidence in Christ. What about the lie we tell ourselves, God made a mistake, you fill in the blank. This marriage, putting me in this job, moving us to this city, putting us in this church. What about our lie we tell ourselves, how can God love a person like me? Do I really think God can love a person like me after all the terrible things I've done? My mistakes, the times I've turned away, the addictions and struggles I I had in the past or I'm still struggling with today? What about the lie I'm not equipped to do this? Blank. Tell them about Jesus. Serve in that role. To tell my testimony to them. To be a parent, a spouse. To be a friend to them. Sometimes much more destructive to our spiritual health are the lies we tell ourselves 
when we're about ready to make an impact for God as we're contemplating our next steps. But God, in his amazing love and mercy, gives us truth to fight this off. We just got to go to scripture and bring it to light. When we are faced with the lie that God made a mistake, we have to look no further than 1 Chronicles 29. And I don't believe that's going to be on the board. And I'll just do verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. God is ruler over all, above all, orchestrating all. Every work on this planet is because of his careful plan and his hands. We have breath in our lungs this morning. You're sitting here watching me by the power of God. Everything on this earth. He took formless void and made an earth and light. And the fact that God is ruler over all and exalted over all should change our view of God. We need to get away from this fairy tale view of God that we have, the, the genie in a lamp God, and increase our view over a God that always was and is and always will be. Have you ever tried to get your mind around that? Like, do you ever just think, like, what happened to space and time before this world? Well, He is. He created space and time. He is space and time. He is above all, ruling over all. And when we have a view of God like that, we can't possibly listen to the lie that he made a mistake in our lives. God's sovereignty gives us peace and confidence about where we were and where we are now and where we're going in the future. What about the lie God can't possibly love me after what I've done. God's grace is sufficient for your salvation. And nothing you've done in the past, no distance from God, can keep you from that grace. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in his mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. This is freely given to us through saving faith in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Nothing you did in the past can take that away. If you repent of your sins, come to saving faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The lie is gone no arguments. I wish we all could just go to a coffee shop, you know, pour a couple cups of coffee. We'll have some eye contact. Maybe, maybe a muffin. You guys scones people? Maybe a scone, you know. But we sit down and we talk because I got to tell you guys, I have a nasty past. There's things that I've done. If I look at them, I'm going to go, how the heck am I up here? preaching the word of God to you this morning. It's God's grace and his mercy. He sought me out. And I chose to repent and to follow him 
and have faith in him, and he transformed me from the inside out. And you can't possibly sit here and say, well, I'm not a chosen one. Yes, you are. There is three billion unreached people out of the seven and three-quarter billion people in this world that are unreached for the gospel. Three billion people who haven't heard the name Jesus this morning. You are chosen. You're hearing God's word this morning. You're chosen. So I know I talked about some pretty pointed things this morning, some things that might cut deep. If you're sitting here convicted about an addiction to pornography or a divorce or absent parenting, maybe substance abuse, alcohol abuse, maybe having too many from time to time and you're feeling convicted of that, listen to me. That is gone. By grace alone, by faith alone, we are saved through the power of Jesus Christ. This lie is gone. Your slate is wiped clean. Choose him today, I beg of you. There's no more condemnation. Past is gone. We overcome the lies of the enemy by trusting in God's truth and sovereignty. Now, one more scheme awaited Nehemiah. It awaits us around every corner as well. Distraction for those of us living in the Western culture is so prevalent today. Nehemiah also saw it, though, and the thing about his distraction, as well as ours, it's troubling because his distraction seemed like a good thing. They told Nehemiah, go into the house of the Lord. Well, ordinarily, that would seem like a pretty good idea, wouldn't it? Let's check out Nehemiah 6, 10 through 16. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalot. Oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Nodiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. And we'll stop at 14 for time's sake. The last part of this is the wall is built in 52 days with the help of God. But before we dive into this text a little further, I need to give a public service announcement. This scripture was not an excuse to miss church. Okay, you were listening. Good. That's very good. We're getting somewhere. But it does show us the very shrewd nature in which the enemy works. And our distraction can come in many forms. Just in Nehemiah, like in Nehemiah's case, fear is used in our lives as a distraction. Especially, it seems like, when we're about to get into a moment of proposed evangelism or working for God's kingdom somehow, we've all heard the, the distraction to ourselves. I, I can't go over and tell them about Jesus. 
First, they're going to think I'm weird, and secondly, I got, I got something else I got to do that's more important. I can't go over and be nice to them like that. I got things to do. I got to be in the crowd. I don't want to be cast out. And when we encounter moments in our lives that seem like a distraction, but we're not quite sure, look at the wisdom here in verse 12. See how Nehemiah discerned. And I understand and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced a prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. Now, how did Nehemiah know? Well, first, he looked at the fact that if he was to run away, he'd be acting like a coward and not trusting in the Lord. And secondly, according to the law, Nehemiah wasn't allowed to go into the temple. 2 Chronicles 26 tells us that. So Nehemiah, through truth and wisdom in scriptures, we find one of these examples in Deuteronomy 18.20 that if a prophet, such in this situation that Nehemiah saw, came to him with questionable, non-aligned words with God, the authority and authenticity probably wasn't there. Now, some of our distractions in our lives are obvious and blatant and sometimes sinful at that. But we need to turn away from this distraction and keep our eyes on God. We need to be careful also, though, of the quiet distractions that come into our lives. In fact, they're so quiet, we go about our normal day doing our thing. We don't even notice how distracted we are. Let me show you. The data varies, but average screen time for an adult is about seven hours a a day. Some as low as four, some as high as ten. We'll go at seven. Now, the average silent reading time of an American adult is 200 to 250. We're going to go at 225 words a minute. And then, in the ESV version of the Bible, there's 757,439 words. Stay with me here. We're going to divide those words by 225 words a minute. That means we can read the Bible in 3,366 minutes or just over 56 hours. If we dedicated half of our daily screen time to reading the Bible, we'd read through the whole entire Bible in every 16 days. It is sick to think about how far we have turned from the love of Scripture and time devoted to God. And I'm preaching to myself. We are consumed by this world. Now I get it. Videos are funny. Cats being scared by cucumbers are hilarious. (laughs) Posts are funny. Games are fun. Candy Crush. Anyone play that yet? I I do. And if it's not cool, someone needs to tell me because I'm the family pastor and I'm supposed to be cool. So catch me (laughs) after the service and let me know if it's not We're distracting ourselves out of a relationship with our creator. Galatians 5, 16 through 17, but I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. In the beginning he says, but I say walk by the spirit 
the word walk is designated to mean our daily conduct. So how do we do this? We defeat the enemy's distraction by prioritizing God. We press into him, thus pressing out the distraction. We fervently pray. This is the important one. We have to pray for the desire for God. We cannot do this on our own. We have to be intentional. But he gives us this power through the Holy Spirit. But we also still have to choose him over the flesh. And in that, we grow. And if we're going to love our families, trust in God's grace and sovereignty, and prioritize God, we're going to need help. We have to stop looking at church like a social club. We have to be there for each other. Find someone. Pray for them. Find out what struggles they're having. What things you can come alongside them and help them with. We have to be a church of prayer and priority to God in our lives. We must be a people who are unified, confident, and focused in Christ. We must be a people who are unified, confident, and focused in Christ. We are unified as intentional Christian families. We're unified as a church body. And we are confident in Christ. The grace from him alone who saves us and we are confident that he's going to empower us to do his work by the power of his Holy Spirit. And then lastly, we have to remain focused on the task at hand. To be intentional Christian parents and grandparents. To be a loving spouse, to reflect the love of Christ for the church. And to remain focused on the mission, which is the Great Commission. Let us pray. God, put on our hearts this morning priority. Help us to prioritize you, our families, our church. Strengthen us against the enemy's schemes, and we trust in your grace and love and redemption for us. Let our lives be a living sacrifice to you, that when we are faced with temptations of this world, our eyes are on you and you only. God, I bless these men and women this morning and I pray safety on them from the enemy. Guard our hearts and minds, Lord, and make us effective for your mission for us. Amen.